episode 25. We made it. I think most people hear blockchain and think cryptocurrency. That's a rightful connection. But the current and future capabilities of blockchain have the high potential to truly revolutionize the mortgage and real estate industries. Lucas Whaley, Senior Director of Technology at Lemoyne Capital, sat down with me for a good old blockchain schooling. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate of Things podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Elliott. A very special, very tall guest today too. He's like eight feet twelve. Lucas Whaley, Senior Director of Technology at Lima One Capital. We both show up to the same mothership five days a week. Lucas, thank you for joining. I uh, appreciate you having me, Dalton. I'm uh, excited to chat a little bit. For sure, we have a very complex but very interesting topic: blockchain. Right. So the the first question. Explain to me in five words or less what blockchain is. No, it's an impossible question. <laughs> so, yeah. so how do you, how, yeah, how do you, how do you answer the question if somebody comes to you? You're a you're a tech genius. How do you answer the question? What is blockchain? Explain it to me like I'm five because I feel like my level of knowledge around this is kind of par for the course for a five year old. So, uh, have at it. Well, I mean, I think most people's experience with blockchain when they hear it, it has to do with cryptocurrency, obviously. You know, at this point, Bitcoin is kind of a, a household name you see on every finance channel or uh, comes up in conversation a lot. So, uh, you know, Bitcoin really applies to one of the concepts around blockchain. So Bitcoin, for example, is a currency or token on a blockchain network. And I know that really doesn't answer the question yet, but really we kind of think about blockchain as uh, a distributed database. So, you know, as part of this distributed network, we have a recording of transactions that happen and these transaction, transactions will accumulate in blocks. And that's reported out to every member of a, of a network, which in the case of something like Bitcoin, it's the actual recording and transactions of uh, Bitcoin being exchanged. Um, but the blockchain technology, it, it's the buckets of transactions. And the important thing is these, these are chained together, which brings in the concept of uh, the, these transactions are immutable. So if you were to change one block in the chain, it would affect all of the other blocks around it much in the same way if you uh, destroyed a chain uh, in an actual physical chain, it would break the chain. So it uh, brings in a really important concept uh, that you, know, you can kind of string together these blocks of transactions to form a chain. Mm -hmm. And that chain you know, has approval from everyone uh, involved in the network and uh, can't be changed. So uh, can't tamper with level of transparency. All right, like at a high level, that seems to be one of the one of the bigger benefits uh, or more actionable benefits of blockchain, right? Yeah, certainly. So the fact that these transactions are immutable once they're on the network, and then you know, there is a consensus or agreement on the transactions that are that are part of uh, of, of the chain. Got it. And you know, talk a little bit about. You know, especially in this first episode, we're going to do two episodes on this because I just feel like one episode 
we're going to barely scratch the surface and we'll just barely, barely scratch the surface through two episodes. But going through the terminology or like a lot of words that are used here, centralized versus decentralized. Like what, how does that play a role? What does, what do those terms mean? Yeah. So we we certainly can go down, down a rabbit hole here, but I guess what's relevant or some of the relevant concepts for a discussion about how this can be applied to real estate, you know, really you kind of think about how, how open or closed this can be, how centralized or decentralized it is. So, you know, on one end of the spectrum, you have something completely decentralized where basically anyone can join a network, anyone can participate in a network, and there's no uh, central authority there. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have something much more centralized that we do want to get more into because I believe it's more relevant for for our industry. And that's where you have these, uh, these networks that are pretty well defined, like your identity is defined, whether you're a company or an individual there's permissions about who can be a part of this network. And it's certainly a much more comfortable state than complete openness, but definitely relevant. And that, that definitely brings up a couple other concepts as, as well. Yeah. So you mentioned blockchain is made of individual blocks, right? Is there a finite number of blocks? Is there kind of an infinite number of blocks? And what implication does the answer to that question have what what pros cons what benefits specifically tied to the real estate world yeah so i mean it depends heavily on the network technology or technology or i guess even the, the, the token being exchanged really so if you think about you know the each of these blocks um will house up to a certain number of transactions in which case a new block will be will be created in which the next batch of transactions will go into to actually take a, take a step back further than that. What's actually more relevant for real estate is the idea of, um, you know, this acts as a distributed ledger of transactions. The idea that no one has to centrally maintain a database of these records. Um, and even further than that, which, which we'll talk about, and that's the, the tokenization of assets coming on to that net, to that ledger or network rather. I know kind of jump aside uh, from your question there, but really um, if we go back to some of the problems in real estate itself, you know, barring some kind of modular home construction or the construction element of this, there's not really a lot of logistics around, you know, the property is not going anywhere basically. It's a it's kind of a, a distributed data problem around the, around the property. You know, we're trying to verify title, there's a verification, you know, if, if this is bar, if this is bought with leverage, the everything to do with that tra- portion portion of the transaction. Um, so there's just a lot of verification and different parties involved, and all of the the costs, the economic costs of all those parties trying to align, reference, and uh, verify each other um, ad- adds up. So. You know, something like these these concepts with distributed ledgers, even extending, which I guess we'll get into um, outside of just a real estate transaction, but the capital market side of things really could improve the economics of a lot of these transactions. Yeah. So let's just take a generic real estate transaction and co- take today's example, how a real estate transaction runs and you have so many third parties involved 
There's so much verification, like a real estate transaction is kind of nothing but verification, right? Like right. underwriting for your lender, that's verifying a bunch of stuff. Title companies verifying chain of title, want to get clean title, like verify, verify, verify. Like there's so much due diligence wrapped up because generally these are relatively large transactions. It's not, you know, gum at the checkout counter. Uh, so there's a need for that, but it, it takes a significant amount of time, right? These things are not instantaneous uh, at all. Uh, the number of parties involved is as many on every single transaction. So you kind of just pick out some pieces of uh, a standard transaction that, you know, we see kind of in our day jobs at Lima One Capital and how that compares to where blockchain is, is in theory going to take real estate transactions. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly it's it's eating an elephant. So people are taking bites from different directions on, on on how to how to solve that. You know, I mean, when we think about the ideal, what that would look like, you know, again, all of the costs associated with all that verification. You know, really, this is not somewhere where I think we're just going to be there tomorrow just because the technology exists. This is a a five to ten year process, I'm sure. And so I don't want to sound too pessimistic, but a lot of people always trot out title and the complications of dealing with title and how blockchain could be the blockchain technology could be a solve for that. But I don't think that's the best case. And I'll actually come back to that, you know, but really at its core, uh, there's the problem is that there's a lot of costs and, and complexity dealing with a physical asset. So how can we reduce the complexity of transacting with a physical asset? And that's, Again, the concept of tokenization, where a digital representation is created of the physical asset. So everybody runs in, runs into this in their day to day with credit card transactions, for example. I mean, you know, when you go buy something at the store, when you go buy gum at the counter uh, with your credit card, you know, your credit card information in full is not being sent to the payment processor, payment gateway, on and on and on. A representation of that of your information in a token is actually what's being sent across the across that network and so when we talk about how that can apply to real estate you know it's just much much easier to transact information between parties of a digital asset that represents a physical asset than trying to transact around the physical transact around the physical asset itself because again you know these digital assets can be you know signed to ledgers uh you know, hypothetically, they can be the, the the verification of this is is all easier. But again, there's a lot of complexity there. Back to your question, so I want to talk about title, I guess. So, in an ideal state, you have all of these these records associated with ownership. Full title search is all digital, but there's a lot of barriers to get there. And I'll, I'll probably say this a few times, but the complication with implementing a lot of this is the commercial problem, but it's also the political problem. And so I don't mean fully, it's a regulatory issue, but also aligning interests across industry and across firms. So with the case of title, I mean, what really would you solve? I mean, you already have analog physical records of property ownership at a county level. Mm -hmm. Your first step is you would have to digitize all of that. You, you know, just, 
the reason we have title insurance is how often that can be wrong. Right. So the the value of uh, throwing a lot of incorrect analog records onto a, a digital platform is uh, doesn't really solve anything in itself. Yeah. So I think we're uh, we're a ways from solving that one. Yeah, that's when you put it that way. The the obstacles start to stack up and make more sense. All right, like just something is seemingly granular is digitizing a bunch of records like that's a massive amount of records across a massive number of different offices and institutions that have different levels of sophistication and resources and actually capability to even execute on something like that and you mentioned five ten years as, as kind of a rough timeline, like, do you just speaking more on the timeline piece, like it's mm-hmm. whenever you break down just the title part of it and all the obstacles there, it seems like it's, it seems like this is like a, a mini decades transition and maybe, maybe not just because of, you know, how, how quickly technology is adopted over time. Like you look at, you know, we've had the iPhone since first iPhone was 2007 and you look at, that iPhone versus this iPhone. I scroll through, uh, I was just looking at old pictures the other day and I was like, it looks like I took this picture with a calculator compared to the quality of pictures that you have today on a device that's thinner, quicker, smaller. And that was not that long ago, right? You're talking right. 15 yeah. years ago. So maybe I'm just being too much of an old man here. But before we even break into any more obstacles, it seems like this is a ways away. Like what's your, what's your gut feeling on the timeline for seeing like meaningful changes where we're like blockchain has really started to materially change real estate transactions across the board. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't have a crystal ball there for sure. Uh, there, there's a lot of people taking stabs at this, a lot of firms out there, mm-hmm. you know, and I, again, not to be a pessimist about any of this, but you know, the benefit obviously that I'm sure investors will care about, real estate investors are, uh, you know, we're, the increases or possibility of increasing liquidity. I don't want to, to understate that part. I will, I will get to the second part of your, your question there, just given that we can, can break uh, property down into really what REITs try to solve in fractionalized ownership mm-hmm. that does increase uh, liquidity heavily. And that, that seems to be uh, possibly a little bit closer than, uh, than one might think. So, say title is probably the extreme case. But um, I guess to go back and answer your, your question, I mean, there's definitely an order of operations here. Yeah. So, you know, the first part of this is, okay, we actually have to have digital assets that represent all of this, all, all of these physical assets before we can start transacting them. And then in your iPhone case, you really bring up a really important point and that's interoper- interoperability. So uh, if every iPhone that came out didn't work with, with prior versions, and I know that's not a perfect analogy because of the generations of cellular technology and everything, but we really have to get to a place where traditional assets can be organized and transacted alongside tokenized digital assets, which I think the approach is probably more to attacking from the other end of the capital market side, which I know we're we're getting into in the second part of this, but really there, you really start to see some of the efficiencies in the market. And at at that point, I think you can get to where you're actually uh, processing transactions uh, in this way. So it may not come from the consumer side. It might come from the, uh, the capital market side. Got it. Do you think, 
you know, at all theoretical, but it seems like there could be a case where you have kind of like state by state adoption. So like one state has moved more quickly, you know, states that are already further ahead and don't have, you know, massive tranches of file cabinets everywhere just sitting around and that's how they go off of it. That that is like, hey, we're gonna we see we see the benefit in yeah. cost, security, efficiency, go down the list, and we're gonna create our state real estate transactions to, you know, contemplate blockchain through and through. Does it seem like that's like a one of the higher likelihoods as opposed to just like abroad across the country and not, you know, just, just being focused on us real estate yeah. as opposed to that kind of slow trickle up. Yeah, no, that that's a great question. We're already seeing movements in some States, like even I think Wyoming has legislation around, you know, transacting digital assets uh, and it differs, you know, a, a lot by state, but you know, Really, at a at a national level, I think this is starting to be taken very seriously. Given that Congress just had a hearing for the first time on on really digital currencies, mm-hmm. which is actually the the snippets are worth watching for anyone curious on YouTube. There, there's definitely some some insight on how this is being being thought about. But you know, and I know we're just talking about U.S. real estate, but there's a lot of other countries trying this as as well because it really does help having a centralized body guide this and you know i think when we start talking about what this could do for markets and how efficient it can make things we wouldn't want the u.s to be left behind in any way by ignoring uh the emergence of this for sure i I, one other piece that comes to mind like smart contracts right i think you and i chatted about a scenario where blockchain smart contracts can really disrupt purchase and rental agreements, right? Like the smart piece comes in where contracts could immediately dissolve if conditions aren't met. Right now it's a, you know, manual horse trading back and forth. And we see that all the time, right? There's, there's great inefficiency there. Uh, How, you know, what explain smart contracts to me and really the implications uh, in the purchase and rental agreement side of the fence. Yeah, so I think rental agreements are a really, really good example um, to back up. You know, a smart contract. All a smart contract really is is just the rules that are set forth with how someone can transact with a blockchain uh, network or distributed ledger technology. I guess because you know at its base, let's think, let's think about what makes a contract legally binding, and that's just hey, you need two parties. There's some financial consideration or agreement there. And this contract has terms. If you meet those criteria as a contract, and you can you can actually build that uh, as an application to a um, to a uh, blockchain network. So I guess with rental agreements, you know the terms set forth there would apply easily. You get into a little more a lot more complication with actual purchase because it's not necessary that how the um, an asset would be tokenized would be the same thing as transacting the assets value. And I know that doesn't make a lot of sense and, and it kind of gets down a rabbit hole, but how we, how unique an asset would be versus how easily it can be transacted or broken up are kind of different properties. And so there's a lot to kind of consider and work out there, but certainly anytime we think about an actual contract, 
a smart contract could be applied and uh, and, and used as a solve in, in that case. So if we, while you were talking, I, I thought smart contract, dumb contract, right? So if we, if yeah. we, if we for a moment t-chart this and say, well, if smart contracts are the future, then today we have dumb contracts. And, and in my mind, a dumb contract is something that just requires people to, uh, it's just very manual, right? Like, yeah. like, whereas on the smart contract piece, the ability to auto execute whenever certain conditions are met, it's like you lay out the terms and then there is the capability theory for whatever has been laid out to be executed upon without any individual human party doing anything right so is it that eventually we would get to a place where you know you and i draw up a purchase sale agreement and i'm buying your house and as soon as the 10 conditions we outlined you know the bank gives financing approval and the appraisal yeah. value comes in and title is clear and go down the list of the you know however many check boxes there need to be as soon as that last box gets checked is it like a snap of the finger this is done now i own the property money flows out of my account into your account everybody gets paid is it is it that type of kind of instantaneous everything gets covered is that kind of the in the end yeah, i mean state? in the in the utopia ideal state, I mean, yeah, I mean, you just laid it out perfectly. You know, you get into a couple of things there where it's the same problem with title. You know, your contract may be on chain, but some of the information it's verifying, say, about liquidity or certain things to do with loan eligibility. If those are not also on the chain, right. it becomes more and more difficult to also verify that to automatically execute that smart contract. And so then, you know, you've really, really increased the barrier here because now this entire process needs to be on chain. So, yeah, I mean, that, in a perfect state, that's exactly how this would work. Yeah, that's that's the, the issue and the obstacle though, right? Like every, as many conditions are in a real estate contract, which is usually a, a decent number and so many different parties, uh, everybody has to be, you know, their piece of the pie has to be on the blockchain. Otherwise, there's no ability for communication, verification, and execution on that. Yeah. So the the other important point you kind of bring up, though, is the number of parties. And so ultimately, what this does is anywhere there is an intermediary in a transaction, this does have the potential to disrupt intermediaries because you are making the transaction more efficient. And so that's something, you know, as an originator, as a servicer, or um, even as an investor, we need to be conscious of as this moves, as this progresses, basically. Yeah, this could be a dangerous question. Maybe, maybe not. But so inefficiency is costly. Like they're, they're yeah. very much intertwined. And where do you see the... You know, I'm, I'm sure to some degree it's happening now, but where do you see the most inefficient and costly barriers that are going to be first affected by this in a real estate transaction? Does that question make any sense at all? Yeah, it does. It's hard to give just one answer there um, because there's there's so many pieces. But you know, really, I would say the confusion around funding and settlement. 
okay could be pretty quickly disrupted if you had parties like politically aligned mm-hmm. you know I, I, do, I think we're a long way from a state where you're just going to get in red go on redfin and pay bitcoin for uh, a piece of property you find then you know you're uh, boom you're done yeah i mean i think like i said it's going to iterate more towards the transaction purchase but um yeah, I would say that that piece for sure, as far as what I would think about as an individual investor, I mean, this is only positive in that case, because again, you know, liquidity is is increased and the more illiquid an asset is right now, the the, the benefits of this are, are are greater. Right. And that that increase in liquidity that you've referenced is because of the certainty around the security of the asset or like what you have and yep. the speed to execute and the removal of inefficiencies and intermediaries, like those changes create that liquidity gain, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, and you know, I mean, even if we're talking about especially larger properties or the role often filled by, by REITs where you're breaking down real estate into shares of ownership, if we're talking about, you know, transacting with some kind of cryptocurrency, I guess, in this case, or a tokenized asset, a piece of property can be fractionalized into multiple parties. And so it gets, it gets very easy to pool and, and buy, buy properties that way without the, the base or the sophistication that a, um, an actual, you know, a, a uh, more sophisticated party would need. How much land do you own in the metaverse? Do you got a few acres? I'm not in the I'm not in the metaverse at all. Nor am I uh, in in on the NFT thing. No, you don't have any uh, cats or monkeys or other. No, no, I see it on I see it on social media all the time. But uh, I'm I'm very skeptical there. But I could be I could be missing something. Yeah, my my take on that. And again, I'm. I'm like a 60 year old man. I'm, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I, I'm saying this on recorded video and audio fully knowing that six months from now I could be a, a shown to be a complete idiot more so than I already am. But it seems like, like everything, if everything goes the route of NFTs, then there's no difference in value based on what is currently here versus what is there. Like, like, the fact that it, something is now an NFT, like you take artwork for an example, right? Yeah. It's like if there if there is an NFT of, if if art is, I'm trying to think how to word this, like, you know, you have prints that get put out that are unlimited sure. runs, right? And those have almost no value, right? Even you know, like a big name like Andy Warhol, right? Like there are prints numbering in the many thousands and even unnumbered editions that like big name attached to them, but the value is not, it is materially different from like a one of one work. And right. so you're, you're kind of in my mind transferring that same concept just into digital format, which, which the same principles apply, right? If there's something that's one of one, like a, a Damien Hurst, nft that there's only one like he had a, he had a popular uh, kind of one of the first prominent artists to have a run of nfts and those skyrocketed in value and i think a lot of that is kind of pop culture popularity with him but also yeah. being kind of first to the plate on something like that but eventually you know hype dies down around it and it just becomes 
no different than going to the store and buying a print for 20 bucks in my mind. Yeah. I mean, the, I, and again, somebody, maybe, maybe we'll take callers later and they can tell me why I'm wrong. You know, maybe one of the call-ins or somebody can send me a white paper and tell me why I'm wrong, but I don't get the application for artwork. I think that's a very understandable concept, but you know, the, it's not, that token is not as closely tied to that art image on the internet as you might think. And this does actually apply to real estate because I do think when we talk about, when we talk about NFTs or what a non-fungible token is, all that means is that is a unique token for a unique asset, which if we think about real estate, that's absolutely true. Problem is, there, there's people sorting this out and there's a couple of ways to approach this, but for the most part, a non-fungible token is not divisible. So everything I just mentioned as far as liquidity benefit is not, is not applicable if it's an NFT. And then there's some crazy cases where they're like, oh, my plane tickets are going to be NFTs. And it's like, why would Delta give up their centralized travel database with all of your info on it? So everyone can see it. They just wouldn't. And so again, you know, I could be missing something, but I don't, I don't get the immediate sudden interest in some of that, but people are making a lot of money off of it. So, you know. Yeah. The, I think of uh, tulips. Kind of the yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So print out, yeah. Bad news from Lucas, senior director of technology at Lima One Capital. If you bought any NFT artwork, print it off, burn it. It's useless. <laughs> yeah, I'm going I'm to screenshot it. Send it my way. Yeah. There we go. I think a good point to end, we'll go for the next episode next week, probably make it a 15-hour episode so we can really just dive into the deep trenches yeah. of this and scratch the surface a little more. So, Lucas, good friend, good colleague, thank you for carving out time to chat with me. Genuinely learn me up on some of this blockchain. It's It's been fun. Thanks for having me, Dalton. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. For sure. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Take care. Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable common sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team. And that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out LimaOne.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.